The first reading is taken from Romans chapter 13, verses 8 to 10. Slightly different than maybe what you've got here. It's found on page 158 of the New Testament sections of the Church Bible. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, love one another. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Please stand for the Gospel. The Gospel is to be found on page 5 of the New Testament sections of the Church Bible. Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 48. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great kings. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, give your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to the one who asks of you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies 
and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, those of us that are yours this morning pray that you will reveal yourself and show us how we should live to your greater glory. Amen. This is the fourth sermon in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Having called his first disciples, Jesus sets out for them an overview of the privilege and the demands of their new situation. The Sermon on the Mount is both a code of conduct for disciples and a revelation of Jesus' authority as Messiah. Jesus speaks about the disciples' blessedness and their distinctiveness as an alternative and challenging community. Supposedly, that's us. From chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus talks about, in quotes, fulfilment of the law, using six examples. These contrast his teaching with the accepted understanding of the Old Testament law. In verses 21 to 30 of chapter 5, Jesus deals with murder, adultery and divorce. This morning we pick up his final three examples. Truthfulness, revenge and our treatment of friends and enemies. Jesus says the two great commandments are that we love God with all of our beings and our neighbours as ourselves. He also says that our righteousness should go beyond the written law and exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. Verses 33 to 37 are only superficially about oaths. Rather, they're about truthfulness. Verse 33 sums up the various regulations on oaths and vows. Jesus was interested that people seemed to be ready to swear oaths at the drop of the hat. They were evidently a large part of everyday life. They weren't only permitted, but commanded in the Old Testament. 
in laying out the way the law was then understood, you, Jesus uses words very similar to those of the Old Testament when he commands that oaths should be kept. His use of both the negative, you shall not break your oath, and the positive, you shall keep your oaths, emphasises the importance of respecting sworn testimony. To swear an oath means to make a solemn declaration or statement with an appeal to a god or a superhuman being or some sacred object in confirmation of what he said. The shorter Oxford English Dictionary. As such, it's a solemn statement declared to be true before God. When anyone calls on God, the truth must be spoken. This goes back to a time when people thought a lie between people didn't concern God, whereas if his name were used, his dignity and honour were at stake. People expected lying to be punished in such cases. Jesus says in emphatic contrast to his disciples, do not swear at all. He isn't forbidding the taking of an oath in a law court or under similar circumstances. The law demanded it. Such statements are sometimes called for, but Jesus is saying that it shouldn't be necessary for his followers to use oaths in their everyday lives. He regarded it as important that what his disciples said could always be relied on. It shouldn't be necessary for them to back up their statements with oaths. Oaths are only needed where people's word alone is unreliable. It's an omission of the failure of truthfulness. Jesus is saying in the strongest possible terms that those who follow him must speak the truth. God wants people to be absolutely truthful. Oaths should never be needed. The truth can't be enhanced by any oath. Jesus rejected the sophistry which said that an oath which didn't mention God directly wasn't binding. For example, by swearing by heaven. Jesus points out that heaven is God's throne. Referring to heaven is referring to him. Nor should oaths be sworn by earth, Jerusalem or any other place. The point of saying this is that people could not escape from one form of an oath to another by using hair-splitting differences. God is present in all his creation. Jesus is saying that the important thing is to tell the truth without insisting that a certain form of words must be used for it to be valid. Truthful people don't need oaths. Finally, Jesus said, do not swear by your head. To swear by the head means that the swearer would give his head, his life, if he were not speaking the truth. As children, we would say, 
cross my heart and hope to die. With God increasingly forgotten, perhaps the use of oaths in daily lives is disappearing, apart from holy names being used lightly as swear words. If it distressed Jesus that people swore by their own heads, this must distress him more. By this point, it goes almost without saying that if we make promises, we must keep them. To sum up, our word should always be so reliable that nothing more than what we say is needed from us. God is in all of life. Every statement is made in his premise, in, in his presence. Every word is binding. Plain yes or no is all we need to say. Our word shouldn't need support. Revenge comes easily to us. We have a natural tendency to retaliate when we think someone has harmed us. Jesus tells his followers not to hit back in any way. The principles are that we don't assert our rights and that we should put the needs of others before our own. These apply to all of life. They, make, they mark the difference between God's people and the world. Lex talionis, the law of an eye for an eye, introduced the principle of proportionate retribution. The intention of the principle wasn't to authorise revenge, but to prevent the excesses of blood feuds by establishing that the punishment must not exceed the crime. Establishing it as law broke the link between punishment and private vengeance. However, Jewish practice tended to put it back. By Jesus' time, financial damages had generally replaced physical penalties. By contrast, Jesus teaches that his people shouldn't insist on personal justice. They must abstain from getting their own back as the law provided for if people would only pay attention to it. Jesus isn't opposing brutality or even physical retaliation here. He's opposing the principle of, his, of insisting on even legitimate retribution. There's a legal flavour to the illustration Jesus uses in talking about rights. A blow on the right cheek was a serious insult, punishable by a heavy fine. The debtor's cloak couldn't be taken from him. Even the Roman soldier's right to commandeer civilian porters was limited to mille passus, thousand paces, our mile. All Jesus' illustrations here involve people not insisting on their, right, on their rights. Do not resist is wider than do not retaliate. 
It involves accept acceptance of even ill treatment with willing compliance. Allow the second blow. Let your cloak be taken. Carry the soldier's load a second mile. My school's motto was, we go the second mile. I don't think our head truly understood what Jesus was saying. Jesus bypasses even just retribution in favour of an attitude which, which refuses to insist on personal rights, no matter how legitimate. Contrary to our world's attitude, which exists on the exercise of personal rights, Jesus demands an attitude which holds loosely to them. Jesus' free and unselfish attitude to rights extends also to property. His principle is that the needs of others come before personal convenience. Jesus demands a self-renunciation that surpasses our natural inclination to defend our rights and protect our possessions. The old ways of retaliation and self-protection must give way to a gentler, more generous approach to those that we might deem our enemies to love them. We might naturally infer that the Old Testament's command to love our neighbour carries the corollary that we should hate our enemies. Hate your enemy is not a quotation from the law but was easily assumed from passages like Deuteronomy 23, verses 3 to 6. It's about the unwelcoming tribes of the Exodus. It says you shall never promote their welfare or their prosperity as long as you live. They also had Psalm 139, verses 21 and 22. It's about those who oppose God. Do I not hate them? Jesus cancels all of that with the extraordinary command to love our enemies. Jesus goes far beyond the explicit teaching of the Old Testament law with ethics that sharply contrast with our natural human values. In all of these examples that Jesus uses, Superficial observance of the letter of the law gives way to a radical search for God's true will. In some cases, the law is sidelined as Jesus' sovereign authority, I say to you, reveals the radical alternative. It's the value scale which we as disciples should should use. Verse 49 appropriately sums matters up. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Legalism has been left far behind. The command to love God with all of our beings and our neighbours as ourselves is fulfilled by that righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. And they were wedded to the law, or rather their interpretation of it. 
Let's be prepared to live out Jesus' radical ethics both in word and action. Let's pray. Lord, you've called us to be yours. You've called us to reflect your family likeness. You've called us to love you with all of your being and to love our neighbours as ourselves. By your Holy Spirit, give us the motivation and the power to live so for your glory's sake. Amen.